just a few verses because there's quite a number of verses uh, to look at today. But let me just read the first few verses in John's Gospel, sorry, John chapter 14, and just the first six verses that are so well known to us. John chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, you not know where you are going, so how come you know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, I've been doing this little series, as you know, and uh, the first week we looked at the triumph that he enjoyed, and we talked about the race is run, the work is done, the crown is won, and then last week we spoke about, it's okay, last week we thought about the legacy he left, he left his peace, he left his joy, he left his example, he left his business, he left his spirit, he left a home with us, a home in heaven, he left a keepsake which of course was the Lord's Supper. So we've been thinking about the triumph that he enjoyed, we're thinking about the legacy he left, but this coming uh, Sunday we're thinking about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the return that Jesus actually promised. And we mentioned that in John chapter 14 and verses 1 to 2. Thanks very much, Graham. The return that he promised. And it uh, says in that John's Gospel, these opening verses, that he promised that he would come back and take us to be with himself. That where he is, we would be there also. That's a wonderful promise that the Lord Jesus has given to us. And there's no greater theme, I don't think, than the wonderful return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to hear about that again and again. There's two important things that we need to say, or two things about his return. And one is the importance of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in the chapters of the 216 chapters in the New Testament, we find there's over 300 references to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That one out of 30 verses in the Bible mentions the return of Christ. Only four out of the 27 books of the New Testament fail to mention the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's a lot of uh, quotes of the return of Christ in the Word of God. One twentieth of the entire New Testament is devoted to this theme. Christ spoke of his return, especially after he revealed to his disciples about his death. After he spoke about the cross, he actually spoke to them about going to the Father and coming again and sending the Holy Spirit. But the apostles who followed Jesus never failed to declare, to mention the return of Jesus in their preaching and in their teaching. 
But not only that, what we find is that this was such an important teaching to the church of Jesus Christ, that the church included that in their creeds in their statements of faith and so we find in the 39 articles of the church of England he ascended into heaven and there he sitteth until he returns to judge all men at the last day then the familiar apostles creed that many churches still recite has this to say from thence he shall come to judge the quick the word quick there actually means living to judge the living and the dead so all over the Christian church, not only did Jesus speak about it, not only did the apostles preach about it, but the actual creeds included it. And so we, we want to emphasize that. The apostles declared it and the creeds included it. That's what the word of God teaches. And that's how important it is in the word of God and to the preaching of the apostles and to the church of Jesus Christ. And yet... There are those who ignore it. Those who ignore the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they do so at their peril. I was here many years ago about a man who was so convinced about the second coming of Christ. He always slept with his trousers beside the chair just in case the Lord should come. I didn't want to appear before the Lord indecent. I don't know about trousers in heaven but I'm certainly waiting for my robe to come. Some of these ecumenical services I used to be involved in years ago in the ministry, we would be told, please bring your robes. And when I got there, I said, well, mine is actually waiting for me, but uh, I haven't actually got it yet. I'm going to get it when I go and meet my Lord, my white robe. So I want you to see how important this theme really is of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we also want to say it's imminent. And by imminent we actually mean he is coming soon. Our soon coming Lord Jesus. The time is near. And as the time goes on I believe there are more and more signs of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd like to turn with me to Mark's Gospel chapter 13 I want to show you some of the prophecies that Jesus spoke in that particular chapter in Mark's Gospel chapter 13. In the uh, first few verses of Mark's Gospel, that's verses 1 and 2, we have first of all the destruction of the temple. Mark 13 and verses 1 and 2. We find these opening words of that chapter. And as he was leaving the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what magnificent stones, what magnificent buildings. And Jesus, do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Now that was virtually unheard of. Because it was the third temple that uh, they were actually looking at in, in such a magnificent way. Remember the first temple was the temple of Solomon. The second temple what was built with Haggai and Zechariah in the later part of the Old Testament. And Herod the Great, the old fox, as it talks about the New Testament, was responsible for building the temple again or doing alterations to the temple to impress the people. And so we find that Jesus prophesied the destruction of the temple. 
That was one of the accusations they brought against Jesus when it came to his traveling. He said that this temple was going to be destroyed. Such a thing was unheard of. And yet we know for a fact it happened in AD 70 under Titus, the Roman emperor, that the Jerusalem was sacked as it were and the temple was actually destroyed. And yet that had to happen. Because from AD 70, the destruction of the temple, to about AD 135, we find that the church of Jesus Christ is, is moving out into the Gentile world. If the temple has still been there, there's just the thought that these Jewish Christians would not have wanted to have gone out of that area into other places. As well as the, the persecution under Claudius, which allowed them that, that to flee, some of them, out of the area. And of course, when they began to flee, they began to spread the gospel. So that was the first prophecy of Jesus there, the destruction of the temple that actually took place about 40 years after Jesus had ascended. But we find something else, disasters in the world. Look at verse 7 of Mark chapter 13. When you hear of wars and rumour of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of the birth pains. These wars, as it were, that Jesus prophesies will affect the world, the nations. I believe individual Christians as well. There will even be wars in the family circle. There will be children against their parents. There will be parents against their children because of their faith in Christ. And so Jesus prophesies here a time of severe persecution or tribulation. And it seems there will be an escalation of these things. Now you may argue, surely there's been worse times in the past, thinking of the First and Second World Wars. But what I believe Jesus is actually speaking about here is not just these kind of things like the World Wars, but international disorder. All these disasters happening, they're escalating and there's international disorder. Think of the global economy. How many of us would, would ever imagine that all these things that are happening in European states and all the kind of thing and the union of these countries but such a devastating effect upon a country, upon their own country and all that's happening in the global scene. The global economy is something we have to take into a point here. Think also of something else. I don't think... I can't even remember a time when people in this nation spoke about the marginalization of Christianity. I've heard so much in the past year or two about how Christianity has been marginalized and it certainly is true. I don't know of a time, even at the beginning of my ministry about 40 years ago, we weren't speaking about Christianity in that kind of light. But today, the whole thing is being pushed aside. It's of no consequence that Christianity was part of our heritage in our own land. And so something is happening here. 
all these escalational things. And we're thinking here not just of physical or economic war. We're thinking here of intellectual war. The battle for the mind. Richard Dawkins and other people who are battling for the mind of people. Think of the moral war we find in Matthew 24 and verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow old. I believe we're thinking also of spiritual war. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 3. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And I think we're seeing that today in our country. We're in this moral war, this intellectual war, this spiritual war that's going on in our own country that was supposed to be a Christian country. Think of, of what's happening in Israel. Keep an eye on Israel. Do not slight or speak against that country because the Bible makes it very clear that if you bless the land of Israel, bless that nation, you will be blessed. If you curse that nation, you will be cursed. The Lord has got something special about that nation. In fact, he's going to come back to that nation. His feet will touch mine olives. The very place where our feet have actually touched last September. His feet are going to touch that mountain. That mountain is going to break up in some kind of earthquake. But Jesus prophesied something else. Not only the destruction of the temple. Not only disasters in the world. But also deliverance through the Holy Spirit. You'll see that there in Mark chapter 10 and verse uh, 13 and verse 10. And there are three things that Jesus says there have got to happen. One is the preaching of the gospel to all nations. Now it doesn't say the preaching of the gospel to every person in the world. It says the preaching of the gospel to all nations. And a good number of years ago folk wondered how in the world is that going to happen? How in the world is the gospel going to be preached to all nations? Well, with the advent of satellites and television and radio, you name it. That is not going to be a difficult task as the years go on. The gospel must be preached to all nations. But that's not automatic. It's something that the Lord uses in partnership with his people. He wants us to be involved in the teaching and the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the wonderful things about the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, says the Apostle Paul. And this advancement of the gospel depends on two things. We are partakers of his grace. And once you become a partaker of his grace, you become a partner in the gospel. To be a partaker of his grace is to be a partner in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in the Philippians, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The gospel has to be preached. The second thing that Jesus said about this deliverance of the spirit is a word must be spoken. Look at verse 13 of Mark chapter 13. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time. For it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Notice the importance of the Holy Spirit. It seems that there will be times when Christians will find it difficult to say what they want to say. 
And Jesus is saying here, when that end comes, these end times, I want you to know the Holy Spirit is going to actually give you the words. And that's happening today as people are taken up to court because they're not obeying the unbiblical laws that the government is passing. And they're having to stand in court, perhaps with the help of, of Christian lawyers, and give an account of how they feel about these laws that are being passed. And the Holy Spirit is having to give them the words to speak as they stand before the courts. The gospel must be preached. The word must be spoken. And thirdly, of course, the patient will be saved. Look at verse 13. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. So here are three prophecies already that Jesus gives us in Mark 13. The destruction of the temple, no longer building center, but Christ-centered. I have nothing against cathedrals, I've been in quite a few cathedrals myself, but you know what, I wonder at the end of the day, is it building centered or is it Christ-centered? Will the day ever come when these buildings will be destroyed and will be no more? And that Christians will have to meet in homes, other places than these great big edifices and the, the money that's required to keep them going along the way. Now they are beautiful and architecture is a wonderful thing. I have an interest in art, of course I have. But that's the church's people. It's not buildings. And here is the, the destruction of the temple, the disasters in the world. How much will we bear for him? Deliverance through the Spirit. Some have to, had to call upon the word from the Spirit as they appear in the courts. Just two more prophecies in Mark chapter 13. Number three, four is the deception in the church. You'll find that in Mark chapter 13, 21, 22. At that time, if anyone says, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that was possible. Look back at verse 6 of chapter 13. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. So there's going to be a false prophet. There's going to be a false Christ. False Messiah. And they're going to have that ability, it seems, to deceive the elect, if that was possible at all, to deceive people anyway at the end of the day. So we have to watch out for the false prophet, for the false Christ who will arise. And the final prophecy, the descent of our Lord, in verses 27, 24, 27. But in these days following that distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. Two main points I want you to grasp about the return of Christ. One is it's really important. Jesus preached it. He spoke about it. The apostles preached it and taught it. The apostles creed includes it. The church of Christ includes it. The imminence of his coming. These prophetic signs that we find in Matthew chapter 13. Destruction of the temple. Disasters in the world. Deliverance through the spirit. Deception in the church. The descent of the Lord. I want to speak a wee verse before we finish this morning. It's a very strange verse. 
It's a verse that claims to come from a prophecy in the scriptures. And we don't find anywhere where that prophecy is. I want you to look up Jude chapter, not only one chapter, verses 14 and 15. Quite a remarkable word. It's a second last book, isn't it? Jude Revelation, second last book in the New Testament. It's just got one chapter. Okay, the second last book in the, in the New Testament. I don't want you to forget this as long as you live because I want you to look at verses 14 and 15 of this little letter of Jude. And it says here something about Enoch. And Enoch, it says, was seventh in line from Adam. We know very little about Enoch. We know, what we do know is that he walked with God and he was not because God took him. But it says here, Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. That's two remarkable verses of Scripture. Don't you agree? Two remarkable verses. And there's nowhere in the Old Testament that we find these two verses of prophecy regarding Enoch. And yet what we've got here is a wonderful procession. A procession of the Lord coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones. I don't know how many of you have ever been in a Jesus match. But there was one in Glasgow, and I can't remember if it was connected with the Baptist Youth World Congress that we had in Glasgow. There were thousands upon thousands of young people from all over the world, and Graham Kenrick was there, and we had this march. We started at the SEC Centre and we made our way to the Kelvin Grove Park. Thousands upon thousands of us standing next to Brazilian young folks who were praising the Lord to the high heavens. That was really something else. Now there's two things about a procession and I don't want you ever to forget it. One is this, you can be at it or you can be in it. You can be at it or you can be in it. Eileen and I were in it. It's a wonderful experience to be marching down the streets of Glasgow, praising the Lord on the way from SEC to the Kelvin Grove Park and, and to praise God to the high heavens and, and hear the word of God being preached in the open air. You can be at it or you can be in it. But I tell you this, before you get to the procession, you've got to get to the formation. Because when we all gathered there in the SEC centre, we had to get into some kind of formation. It wasn't a kind of great big crowd of folks all over the road going. We had to get into some kind of formation. And I want to tell you the, the formation is actually there in the scriptures. You'll see it there in First Thessalonians chapter 4, 15 to 17. That's the formation that comes before the procession. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we will, you who are still alive, who are left of the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. We will not be taken before those who have died in the Lord. That's what the words fallen asleep mean. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, and the voice of the archangel with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
those who have gone before us, who knew Jesus as their Savior, they will be called first to go and meet the Lord. The dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and as we will be with the Lord forever. That's the formation that comes before the procession in Jude chapter 14 and 15. And we call it the rapture. I'm looking forward to that day when Christ comes or Christ calls one or the other. And if I'm here when he comes, I'll be caught up to meet him and you will as well. The formation is called the rapture. You know what the Bible tells us? That everybody's not going to make it. I find that salutary that everyone is not going to make it. If you have a Bible with you, look up Matthew 24, verses 40 and 41. You should have it underlined in your heart or in your Bible. Matthew 24, 40 and 41. There's a lot of people in this world today who believe we're all going to get there at the end of the day. We call that universalism and the Bible doesn't teach it. What it does say in Matthew 24, 14, 41, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to that day. Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. And that's how it will be, says Jesus, at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other will be left. You know what many are going to be wishing that day? You know what they're going to be wishing? They'll be wishing I, w- I wish we'd all been ready. I wish we'd all been ready. And next time I want to share about the return of the Lord next week. I've only got one week then my way for two months but next week I want to return to this return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so important. How do you prepare for that day I believe each of us we want to walk by faith the Bible says you need to walk by faith in the light of all that's happening in our world the disasters that are coming upon the world the marginalization of Christianity the, the moral war the intellectual war the spiritual war folks we need to be walking by faith we walk by faith and not by sight because we believe that Christ is coming again. And then we need to live in peace. Tells us that in the scriptures. View the present and the future. Not with panic. Not with panic. But with peace. It says that in 1 Corinthians 7.15. God has called us to live in peace. Then we need to rely on hope. Because it says in John's Gospel 14. He's preparing a place for all those who know the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got a bit of real estate in heaven. And we need number four to watch and pray. Matthew 14.38 says, Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing but the body is weak. Walk in faith. Live in peace. Rely on hope. Watch and pray. That just leaves one question to be answered. Just one question to be answered. That procession when Christ comes with the holy ones to judge the world... Will you be at it to be judged? Or will you be in it as one of the holy ones? A differentiation in the Bible between sinners and saints. The sinners, they'll be at it. 
But the saints will be in it. That's the important difference. The wonderful thing is that nobody need to be left behind. That's the wonderful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can all be ready. How do you get ready? If you don't know Christ as Saviour, you give him your heart. You come before him and say, Lord, come into my life and be my Saviour, be my Lord. I just thank you for dying on the cross for me. And when you invite him into your life and you save it in the Lord, you've got this wonderful assurance that we'll be ready when he comes. And he'll never let us down. Nobody can pluck us out of the Father's hand. And that's how we're ready as unbelievers by coming to Jesus. These other things I spoke about, walking by faith, relying on hope, that's for the believer as well. Let's just bow in prayer. This is a good time to think about where you are spiritually. Have you really given your life to Jesus? Can you really say from your heart of heart, yes, I am ready for that time when he comes. I'm looking forward to it. Praise the Lord when he comes. With his holy ones, I'll not just be at it, I'll be in it. Because I've been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. If you just don't feel that you're just there yet, then just repeat this prayer into yourself. Just where you're sitting today. Lord Jesus, I really want to be ready for that day when you come again. Cleanse me, Lord, from all my sin. Come into my heart and be my Saviour and my Lord. Give me that wonderful assurance of faith. And help me to acknowledge that you are Lord of my life. I give you my heart. I give you my all. Receive me into your kingdom. I want to thank you, Lord, for those who may have prayed that prayer this morning. I want to thank you for the wonderful truth of the return of Jesus. The triumph he enjoyed. The legacy he left. The return he promised. Give you thanks. Give you praise that you'll come with power and with glory. In your powerful name we pray. Amen.